Greetings, and thank you for checking out this sermon from Kingdom Life Community Church in Morrison, Illinois. If you'd like more information about our church, go to kingdomlife.global. And now, here is the sermon from our pastor, Steve Harmon. Well, let's open our Bibles to the book of Amos. If you remember, we're going through and we're talking through kings and prophets. Um, We've talked a little bit, you know, uh, in the Bible about the Bible not being necessarily in chronological order. Um, But, uh, and, you know, a few weeks we were were talking about all that. And we're talking about uh, the prophets and the kings. If you remember what we talked about with the Old Testament, um, after the kingdom was fractured, after Solomon's death, you had two guys, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, right? And Rehoboam stayed in Judah. He was Solomon's son. Uh, Jeroboam went to Israel. And so the two... um, it was fractured because Rehoboam would not have mercy on on Israel as a nation. He 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 just he was worse than his father, and he kept the oppression on the people to build and build, and said he was going to make it worse. And so what began to happen was uh, Israel was like, "We're not going to live that way." And so the kingdom fractured, right? And so the ten tribes went to the north, and they grabbed Jeroboam and said, "You're going to be our king," right? And so Rehoboam goes to the south in Judah in Jerusalem. And so even though they're brothers, there's a lot of friction. They're getting ready to go to war because of what has happened. But a prophet comes to them right away and says, uh, tells to Rehoboam, don't go to war against your brother. Uh, we know that later on they, they are still going to have wars with each other and stuff like that. But So there's this fracture, right? Um, and so there's, there's a lot of stuff going on. And, and God had prophesied to Jeroboam, right, and said, you're going to be the king and, you know, basically lead him well, blah, blah, blah. And so what does Jeroboam do? <laughs> he's, he's get this feeling like he's say, listen, if I let them go to Jerusalem and do, still do their sacrifices, which is in Judah, then they're never going to want to come back to Israel. He's like, so we're going to set up our own type of, of system of worship here in Israel. And, and looky here, here's these two golden calves. Not one, but now there's two, right? These two golden calves. And these are the gods that will have brought you out of the land of Egypt, right? And so we're going to worship them. And so this whole this is why we read in the Bible on and off about this sin of Jeroboam. This is what he did. It was a horrible thing. It wasn't good at all. Um, Rehoboam wasn't much better. And so when the leaders and the kings are... are are leading badly, right, are, are not following the Lord, you get this, you get these guys called prophets, called by God, who are going to speak the word of God into that situation and declare uh, what is going to happen if there's not repentance, right? And, and most of the time, we don't see repentance. The, the one prophet we see massive repentance and massive revival happen in is with Jonah, and that wasn't even it to the Israelites. That was the Ninevites, Nineveh, right? And so they had a massive revival. You don't see much of that. You, you see that in Josiah. But most, most of what you see happening in, in the south and to the north is, is bad stuff. It's, it's good religion, but it's bad relationship. And good religion will always steer you away from right relationship. And so we have to be careful about that. And so we have to understand, too, that it's just as important for us being uh, the church that let me just put it to you this way. I'm going to read you some judgments that, that Amos is going to hand out, right? These judgments that are happening are not because of what they did. It's because of who they become. 
And what they're doing is manifesting from the heart of who they truly are. And that's why God is saying, there, there's, there's not a chance for repentance here. And because of that, this is why judgment and exile is going to come unless you repent. And, and we know that there's no real massive national repentance that's long-lasting that's going to curb the judgment that's going to come here at the end for both places. So let's do a little review of, of Amos real quick. We understand that he's a pre-exilic, right? He's before the exile. And so there's, uh, there's a majority of prophets that are pre-exilic. There's a couple that are exilic and a couple or three that are post-exilic. So we understand when God does most of his speaking, it's to keep you from the judgment that's coming so that you'll repent. God does not delight in judgment at all. But his holiness demands it. And if there's not, if, if there's not going to be a right sacrifice for it, if there's going to be perversion of, of his law and everything, then, then his holiness demands that judgment comes. See, it's the same in the New Testament as well. The, you, there's going to be judgment. But those who believed in the sacrifice of Christ and accepted him are not going to be put towards wrath. They're, they're going to be saved from it, but there's still going to be wrath and there's still going to be judgment. And that we have to understand that because a lot of what's happening in the church, because the church is going a lot in the same direction as what Israel of the Old Testament has done, is that they're taking a whole lot of, of, they're taking a little bit of what they like of Scripture here, but not liking this over here. So they're not taking the full counsel of what God's Word has to say to it. And so the church, if you call it the church, is starting to drift a lot off its foundations of what it once said it believed, so that it can be inclusive, it can be tolerable, all these different, you have the doctrine of inclusiveness in, in the false church. And so it's saying, and, and what its message is basically this, is you were created the way you were created, and God loves you. Don't change a thing for me, not if you care for me, right? Just be who you are. And they're heaping up false teachers like, it's like 2 Timothy 4.3 tells us. They're heaping up false teachers that are going back into the doctrines of the Bible. And saying, oh, I don't really think that's what it really means. I think it blah, 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 this and blah, blah. So they're already, you're seeing it over the internet. You're seeing it from the pulpit. False teachers who are teaching a false doctrine to a false church. And she is gaining power because the culture loves her. Because she doesn't challenge the culture at all. I, I never liked this idea of a remnant being saved. I know the Bible talks about it, but I just, I didn't, I was like, it just seems like, you know, when you hear that, there's, maybe there's not going to be a lot of people in heaven. <laughs> I don't like that. But it's not because of God. It's because of the hardness in the hearts of mankind, not to submit themselves to him. And listen, I'm not talking, you know, sinless perfection. There was only one who did that. That's Christ. But it sure seems to me a lot today that there's a lot less in the church of a whole, of, a whole, of the pursuing of the righteousness and the holiness of God out of what he's done. And just accepting any old itchy ear doctrine that comes down the pike. It's, it's pervasive in, our, in the youth of America. Why? 
because they've seen enough of the falseness of a worn-out religion. And so they go with what feels good. They're not chasing Christ. They're not chasing holiness. What they don't understand is they're, they're chasing damnation. I don't like that. I don't think the Father wants that. That's why I believe the Father has gone to such great lengths to keep that from happening to those who will receive his gift. And Amos is one of those guys who is, who is going to be prophesying. Amos is not even a prophet. He never went to prophet school. He didn't. Not one foot in the school of the prophets. What he was, was his, from his own description, he was a sheep herder. With, he was more than that. He probably owned a lot of stuff. He was probably uh, uh, doing well in his business. He probably owned land and, and sheep, and he was a sheep breeder and, and all those things. And, and uh, all of a sudden, he's, he's starting to getting these things from the Lord. And the problem is, is, he is in Judah, but God has called him to go to Israel, right? Strike one. Nobody wants to hear what this little Judah guy wants to say in Israel. This is why he starts out his messages like this. So, um, we know that uh, he's coming from the southern kingdom. He's called to the northern kingdom to preach and prophesy against the worship of Baal. Baal, however you want to say it. Um, sheep breeder. He's probably 10 to 12 miles from Jerusalem. It was where Tekoa is. Um, he talks about uh, that he was... Uh, what he saw regarding Israel during the days of Uzzah, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash. And so that gives you an idea, as we were talking about kings, where he's going to be. Uh, look at what he says. He, he, first thing he does is when he's, and this is a little bit of review. First thing he does is when he starts prophesying is he doesn't go right to the heart of them. He goes right to the heart of their neighbors whom they hate anyway whom God is going to judge someday. And they're just believing that. And look what he says. He's like, hey, listen, I will not relent from pu uh, punishing Damascus. That's the capital of Aram. They were a constant full, full. He's like, for three crimes and even four. And that's just a way of saying that their sins have really come up to be judged before God. It's not just four sins. He's like, for three and even four. It's like they're multiplying. And not only that, but their sins are now overflowing in their nation and for even four. So it's like they're a sinful nation, and now they're even now they're now it's even more. Now it's piling up, right? Remember when when he was talking to Jonah, he he would say, "Listen, for their for their sin has come up before me." Right? There's so much sin and junk that's going on down there that God is saying, "Hey, we have got to do something." You know what he did in 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 Genesis, right? When there wasn't hardly anything on the earth that was good, there was only Noah and his generations that were just. And what did he do? He unplugged the water, didn't he? let it all loose. Why? Because his holiness has to deal with sin, especially the sin uh, if there's been a sacrifice provided for it and people are not accepting it. Okay. He goes into uh, Gaza, right? Uh, the problem with Gaza, they're selling cities, entire cities of Israelites as slaves to the nations. And he's saying what he's going to do to them from down there. These are going to be the Philistines, right? They were a constant foe. 
Look what he says to Tyree for three crimes and even four because they handed over Hulk. Again, they're, they're, they're taking Israelites, they're capturing them, and they're selling them as slaves to other nations of the earth. And God is saying, I ain't going to have it. I'm going to judge that. Even though he's going to get to their judgment, he's talking about these other nations. And Amos is saying what God is going to do to the other nations. And what that is doing to them, it's like it's perking their ears. It's like, oh, yeah, we're going to listen to this guy. This guy is speaking truth. He's, he's going to go after these other nations of the earth. Yeah, the, the Philistines, crush them. You know, Tyree, crush it. Right? Yeah, all of them, crush it. And so what does that do? You, when you hear that, you know, God's going to get our enemies. Yeah! There's a rallying cry. We're righteous and you're not. We're going to heaven and you're not. I don't know. The problem is, is they're blind to their own wickedness. He goes, uh, Edom, uh, because you pursued your brother with the sword. Why? Why? What's wrong? Edom came from Esau. They're brothers. And they're still harassing one another. And he's like, I'm going to punish Edom for that. The Amorites, we didn't cover this last week, we're getting to this. Why? For three crimes and even four. Why? Because they ripped open pregnant women of Gilead in order to enlarge their territory. That's not a metaphor. That's what they were actually doing. The wickedness of of what these people, they would actually, women who were pregnant, they they would cut them open and rip out their children. Today, we would call that abortion, and it's okay, because it's your choice. There's plenty of things that God can still throw judgment at on the earth today. I don't know if you knew that. We, we, we as the United States of America, do not stand on a banner of righteousness I'm not trying to be mean here, but sometimes maybe some of these people from foreign nations whom we hate because they're so evil, who stand from their pulpits and call us the great Babylon, maybe there's something about that. Does a nation who who calls itself righteous allow the 60 million children to be destroyed in the womb? Does a nation who supposedly calls itself righteous keep pursuing sexual immorality? Does a nation that calls itself righteous and votes in its leaders, whom a lot are being taken out from this slave trade, these sexual slave trade, you ever wonder why some of that stuff has, has gone under the news cycle? Because, people, there's a lot more to it. It's going to be exposed. I believe it wholeheartedly. I'm not saying they're ignoring it. I'm just saying there's probably some still some big time people that are going to be pulled down from this Jeffrey Epstein sexual slave trade stuff. This is not over by a long shot. Not over. The election is passed, so I'm I'm thinking in this next year, there's going to be some things that are going to that are going to happen, that are going to come out. Okay. 
Uh, and so he's, he's looking at this, and he's going to judge them for that. He's going to judge Mo, uh, Moab, right? Because they burned the bones of the king of Edom to lime. Well, that seems like, I mean, come on, the guy was already dead, right? He just dug up his bones and burned them. What's that got to do with anything? That means a lot with God. You know, God, God cares a lot about what happens to the body after death. And the respect of it. He took Moses and buried him. Sent Michael down there to dispute with the devil over the bones of Moses, right? Why? Because he cares about it. And so what he does not like is the fact that these guys have no respect and are going through. It's not this one-time thing. Remember, it's not what they did. It's who they are. And what they, who they are is manifesting in these acts. <coughs> it's like because you're people that have no respect of, of, of even of the dead. He's going to send fire against Moab. Okay, then uh, up here in in verse 4, the Lord says, And I will not relent from punishing Judah. Man, they must have stood up and cheered like crazy. Because they're like, yeah, Judah. Because they were going to oppress us even more than Solomon, man. Yeah, go get them. They're evil. They rejected the instruction of the Lord and not kept his statutes. The lies that their ancestors followed have led them away. Therefore, I'll send fire against Judah, and it will consume the citadels of Jerusalem. At the point, that must have felt like a vindication for them. Like all of a sudden, we've heaped up this new religious system, and now now God's going to honor us by what we've done. See, what God does to other people is not necessarily a validation for you. Look what he says. Now we're going to get to Israel. And I will not relent from punishing Israel. What? What? Because they sell a righteous person for silver and a needy person for a pair of sandals. They trample the heads of the poor on the dust of the ground and they block the path of the needy. A man and his father have sexual relations with the same girl, profaning my holy name. They stretch out beside every altar and the garments taken as collateral in the house of their God and they drink wine obtained through fines. Now listen to me. Remember what we talked about, uh, not last week, but the week before. There is this battle also going on in the church. There's a lot of battles in the church. I don't know if you knew that. But another battle is this battle against, like, the social justice or the social gospel. And it's just all they're doing is that's not really the gospel. I'm listening to people of the faith who have been in the faith for years and coming out against this so-called social justice type of thing. And I'm asking myself, I'm like, why? I don't see the teaching of against the social gospel in the scriptures. As a matter of fact, I think the gospel is pretty clear about it. See, what we've done is we've bought into the belief that it's one or the other on a lot of different things that are going around in the church today. And that's not the case. Now, some people are arguing and saying, well, you're just doing social stuff, but you're not really following God. And I get it. It's the same as trying to earn your way into heaven. You can't do that. You can't do enough good things to deal with your own sin. You have to submit yourself to Christ. You have to say, I accept. There's no way I can clean myself up of my own sin. And I'm not trying to do that. I receive Christ for my sins, you know, as a forgiveness of my sins. But from that, right, there's this works thing that happens. You know, Ephesians, 
2, 8, 9, right? If you were saved through grace, not of yourselves, the gift of God. For you were created in Christ Jesus for. So what are the good works? What are the good works? Is it just gifts? Wow. You got saved when you were, when you were 21, and you got filled with the Spirit, and, and you, you, got, you got the gift of tongues, and that was your good work. That doesn't seem right. See, I don't think the gifts are necessarily the entirety of all the works. I think the gifts will equip you, yes, but for greater things to do on the earth. And I think this idea of, of, of this social gospel is really included because when you look at the book of Amos, most of the stuff he's telling them is really as, yes, you walked away from God, but look how horribly you've treated one another. Look, look at what he says here. You sell a righteous person for silver and a needy for a pair of sandals. Someone found innocent but sold into debt slavery anyway, either by bribing a judge or by ignoring what the judge said. So they're going after people and, and they're selling them into their, their own people into slavery, even if they've got even if they got a righteous judgment from a judge or they bribed the judge to get a bad judgment. This is not one thing that happened. This was their culture. You had the rich elite who were stepping on the heads of the poor people and keeping them down. Their own people. Judah. Israel. Their own people. They were using their influence. They were using their power. They were using their money. Not for the betterment of their nation and for others. But to keep a bunch of people in their proper place. At my feet. They were only helping themselves. What they were really doing is they were taking the blessing that was supposed to be for a nation. And like everything else. They built their walls around the nations to keep the nations out instead of going and sharing who God was. And they did the same thing around their fortunes in their own homes. They built their walls to keep their fortunes in and away from other people. Jesus was dealing with this with the Pharisees as he was walking on the earth about their tithing, yet how they treat their own parents. He's like, you're using the law for your own benefit. Same thing what's happening here. A lot of times it would happen, um, well, this father and man having sexual relationships with the same girl is most likely Baal cult prostitution. Remember, it wasn't just the fact that they totally walked away from Yahweh. They just considered that he wasn't enough. And so they would add Baal. Hey, listen, if one God's good, two are better. You know, God, Yahweh's a pretty busy guy. Let's bring in some Baal stuff here. Take a load off his shoulders. We can use Baal for, you know, fertility of our, of our uh, crops and everything like that. Seems to work for the Philistines. I don't know. So we'll bring that in there. Oh, and by the way, we get to sleep with the prostitutes. It's a win-win! See, that stuff hasn't gone away. It's changed his name a little bit, but it's still here. Same type of stuff. They would take a person's coat for collateral 
you could do that, but you were supposed to give that coat back to them at night so they could keep warm. They weren't doing that. They were keeping their coat for collateral and not giving it back. So these people were also suffering in the cold of night, not having anything to, to keep them warm. Moving down here, he says in verse 12, um, in verse 11, he says, I raised up um, sons as prophets and some of young men as Nazarites. This is not the case Israel. He's telling them, he's charging them with this stuff. He goes, I raised up prophets and I raised up Nazarites, didn't I? <laughs> Like, yeah. He says, but this is what you did. You made your Nazarites drink wine, and you commanded your prophets, do not prophesy. And listen, <clears throat> it seems like in the church world today, we're prophecy-heavy on one side and no prophecy on the other. But the, the Bible is clear. Why did they tell him not to prophesy? Because they were prophesying the things of the Lord, and the people did not want to hear it. Because they did not want to change their hearts. Because they figured they were f being fed much more by their emotions and their wealth and, and, and holding their feet on the necks of the poor. That felt good to them, so they would rather do that than listen to what the prophet of the Lord was saying on how to live your life. I'm glad that doesn't happen today. See, we have that in the church today as well, too. We want to chase after all the, what we think are the good stuff, but we want to deny these other things because I just, it doesn't, that doesn't make me feel good. But this makes me feel good over here. See, you, you can't take half the stuff. You take all or you take nothing. See, so what do you do with prophecy? You let people prophesy. But not without accountability. You don't just get to say anything you want when you want to say it. This is, this is the problem. This is why I love, and I've told you this before, but I love John Bevere's book, Thus Saith the Lord. It will make you not want to prophesy. Did me. I remember having a conversation with you years ago, reading that book, and I, it scared me to death. Because of the weight of, of, of what you're really... See, we don't realize what we're really doing when we're prophesying. Because what we're saying is, is we're saying that God has told me something about you. We are so much more into the future than we are what prophet, the full counsel of prophecy, which is also declaring how to live according to, in the Old Testament, God's law. In the New Testament, God's love. Prophecy is heavy. Whether it's a gift just a gift, or it's an office, you're still declaring the words of God. So man, you better, you better take that to heart. Because he's going to hold his prophets responsible, or those who call themselves prophets responsible. Those who, every word that comes from your mouth is go, you're going to be held accountable to. Imagine the things you say that you said God told you to say to that person, but God didn't tell you to say that. Prophecy is, is not a toy. It's not something to make you feel good and happy. It's to declare the things of God when God tells you to declare them. And don't add stuff to it. And what I mean by that is, is, is don't necessarily add your interpretation from your feelings. Because it may not be what that other person needs. 
Don't feel like you have to ha- answer every one of their questions because it becomes up to them if they get this word and they think it's from God to interpret this in their life as what is God saying. And sometimes God allows people to wonder about this stuff so it gets down in them. It's okay. It's okay. All right. In verse 3, we're going to move kind of fast here. Excuse me, in chapter 3, this is what God is going to be saying to them. He says, listen, uh, well, read verse 3 on your own time all all the way through because I'm just going to hit some highlights. He's like, I have known only you in verse 2 out of all the clans of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Can two walk together without agreeing to meet? What is God saying through all of that? A lot of this is metaphor, but what he's saying is, listen, I knew you intimately. I've revealed myself to you. You saw the signs and wonders. You saw me take you out of Egypt. You saw me, you saw me do the curses on the Egyptians. You saw me split the Red Sea that you could go through. You saw me feed you water from a rock. You saw me rain down manna from heaven so that you could eat. I sent quail to you in the desert, right? And God is going through. I have done all these things. You have bore witness to me. That I have done all of these things. And now all of a sudden. My interpretation. I'm not enough for you. I've provided every single thing. Because I loved you. And you've taken it for granted. And you've said that it wasn't enough. And you've used me because of what you think I can do. And when I did. I wasn't your puppet. And I didn't do it. When you wanted to say it. You chased after other gods to get it. Thank God that the Old Testament's over and that doesn't happen today. This is people, this is why people church hop like crazy. What they really are are temple prostitutes selling themselves to get the best they can get, to be recognized. Look at me, look at me, I can sing. Put me on stage. Notice me, notice me, notice me. I need, I need, I need. It's like, what about Bob all over the church? It's a bunch of, it's a bunch, you ever, I, I'm not telling you to watch this, but there's, I've seen like maybe two episodes of this series called The Walking Dead, where they're like zombies all over the place. That's a lot like sometimes what the church is. Except their souls are bleeding all over themselves. They're partially dead and they're walking around. I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. And they, they want to suck the life out of everybody because they have none of their own. I'm not trying to be mean, but we don't have prophets that are standing up and telling them this. Instead, we have people who call themselves pastors who pat them on the little rear end and say, it's going to be okay. I'll give you everything you need. And wonder why pastors burn out. Wow. There's a reason why a shepherd carries a rod. I've seen Chris carry it. I've seen him use it a time or two. Not shepherds don't like to, but sometimes you know sheep are dumb. And and like Rich always says. Sometimes the only way people ever learn is through pain. And if a shepherd, the Lord loves you, he will give you some discipline in your life, not to hurt you, but to, so that you understand that, you know, judgment is much worse than this consequence you're facing right now. See the consequence, turn from it, come to me so we don't have to deal with judgment. 
He says at the end of this in verse 14, I will punish the altars of Bethel. On the day I punish Israel for its crimes, the horns of the altar will be cut off and fall to the ground. I will demolish the winter house and the summer house. The houses inlaid with ivory will be destroyed. Hey, your name's in the Bible. Ivory. Will be, but they're going to be destroyed. Sorry. All right. We'll move on. And the great houses will come to an end. That's not a prophetic statement to you. Okay? It's not. All right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. <coughs> See, Bethel was a pretty sacred place. It was where they had set up a lot of their capital, a lot of their sanctuaries. It was, it was, it was big throughout the Old Testament. A lot of good stuff happens there, right? I shall call this place Bethel, meeting with God, all this kind of stuff. And here's what they've done. They've set up false altars. They set up false worship system. And, and here's the thing that he's saying. You, you set up this false system and you've, you've, you've got a great economy and you've got a lot of wealth and you've got a house here and you've got a house in the mountains. And you've got all this beautiful stuff. <coughs> but the Lord said that he's coming and he's going to destroy it all. All this wealth that you gained, that you thought was the love of your life, the Lord is going to really show you what it's worth. Nothing. Now in chapter 4, this is where it's going to get a little humiliating. Listen to this message, you cows of Bashan. You who are on the hill of Samaria, women who oppress the poor. That's right. He called the women cows. He did. You cows of Bashan. Because here's what they were doing. They were women who were married to very successful men. And so most of the time they would lay on their bed most of the day and cry out to their husband to bring them more to drink while they oppressed the people who were working for them or the people around them. And he says, listen up, you cows of Bashan. What? Try saying that today to somebody. That's not going to get you too far, is it? You crush the needy. You say to their husbands, bring me something to drink. He says, this is what's going to happen to you. The days are coming when you will be taken away with hooks and every last one of you with fish hooks. You will go through the breaches of the wall, each woman straight ahead, and you will be driven along towards Carmen. My name's in the Bible too. Although it's not really good. Some think it's a castle or a high place, but in this context it means it's the end for you. That's exactly what happened. When they came against him, broke the holes in the walls and all this kind of stuff. They would put fish hooks in their lips or on rings and lead them out uh, like like yoke. And lead them out to take them captive. Babylon, Syria, everywhere else. See, the Lord wasn't joking around. It wasn't a metaphor. Those who were dead were even carried out through the wall, hooks and stuff like that. See, the Lord has a way of humbling people who will not humble themselves. And you would much rather humble yourself before the Lord than be humbled before the Lord. Okay, coming down here in verse 6 through, well, 13. He said, I absolutely gave... He said, I gave you absolutely nothing to eat in all your cities, a shortage of food in all your communities, yet you did not return to me. In 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, <clears throat> he's going to tell them everything that he's done to them that is not good. Those were warnings. 
And the reason he did those things was that they would give them warning so that they would turn and come to him. He says, but you didn't do it. Now because of that, something worse is going to come upon you. You see, people want to talk about prophecy, but people don't want to hear from the Lord. They had a lot of prophets. None of them were listening to the Lord. This, this should be a wake-up call for Israel. He had to get somebody that wasn't even in their own nation who was listening to him, who would prophesy to them, because there was nobody listening to the Lord. They're prophesying according to what they see. Oh, the economy's good. Oh, this is good. It must be because we're adding bail, and God must be pleased with it, and we're one big happy family and all this kind of stuff, and everything's moving, and I got two houses. I got one in the city, and I got one in the mountains. I got servants all over the place, but I'm treating people like garbage, and I'm treating the Lord like garbage, and finally the Lord is going to say it's enough. I've done all these things to get your attention. You're not listening, and so now here it comes. Is the Lord knocking on the door of your heart? If he is, listen. Because they didn't listen, they entered the judgment. All right, we're moving quite a ways forward. And not only this, they were living the way they were living, but look at what he says in, in Amos uh, 7, 18. He says, woe to, you for, woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. What will that day be of the Lord be for you? Basically, you've got a bunch of people who are not following the ways of the Lord who are saying, hey, we can't wait for the day of the Lord, thinking that they're going to get even more justified. And, and Amos is saying, why are you clamoring for the day of the Lord? What do you think that's going to be like for you? It's like it's going to be horrible. Because of who you are, who you followed, and what you've done. Why are you clamoring for the day of the Lord? You're clamoring for the day of the Lord because you, you don't really know what's going to happen. You're not really honest with yourself of how you're living. And he says, because of that, this is going to be horrible for you. He's like, listen, there's some things in here that he says that are, are said by a, lot of same, by a lot of the same prophets at different times. And listen to what he says to him. He says, um, won't the day of the Lord be darkness rather than light, even gloom without brightness in it? I hate and despise your feast. I can't stand the stench of your solemn assemblies. Even if you offer me burnt offerings or grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will have no regard for your fellowship offerings of fatted cattle. Take away from me the noise of your songs, your worship services. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream and he's he's going to hit them again it was it sacrifices and grain offerings that you presented to me during the 40 years in the wilderness but you have taken up with succoth your king and kawan your star god image as you made for yourself so i will send you into exile beyond damascus the lord is tired of this mixing of culture and faith he says this in the New Testament in Corinthians as well, too. I have called you to come out from among them, to separate yourself from them. Listen to this. He has in um, uh, chapter 7, he goes through these visions. There's locusts, fire, a plumb line. Does that sound familiar? A plumb line. <clears throat> 
And he says uh, in verse 9, Israel's high places will be deserted because high places is where they would set altars to worship other gods. And Israel's sanctuary will be in ruins. Why? Because they defiled it with Baal. He says, I will rise up against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Why? Why does he add Jeroboam? Because that's where it all started. This is that sin of Jeroboam stuff. And they all bought it hook, line, and sinker. And they're not listening to what the, nobody's listening to the Lord. Nobody's listening to the prophets. And so he sends Amos there to, to go and, and prophesy and look at what's going to happen. And we'll, we'll close the book on this here. Uh, this is Amaziah's opposition. Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent word to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you right here in the house of Israel. The land cannot endure all his words, for Amos has said Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will certainly go into exile in its homeland. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Go away, seer, flee to the land of Judah. Earn your living and give your prophecies there, but don't prophesy at Bethel again, for it's a king's sanctuary and a royal temple. This is an outright rejection of the Lord. This is, you, you can't get it any more clear than that. He's standing up. He's speaking for the king. And he's like, hey, listen, seer. Go back and work your sheep. Go back and prophesy to Judah. But you're not prophesying here at Bethel. You're not prophesying to my king. You're not prophesying these things to the Lord. It's an outright, like, last refusal and rejection to hear anything of what the Lord is saying. And that happens today, and it scares me. Because an outright refusal to listen to the Lord, what, what, you're, what you're really saying is, is you're closing off your heart to Him. And you don't want it anymore. And I think that's dangerous. And I, I see people doing it. People who were like, woo, at one time right in with us, but then all of a sudden something happens. I don't know, maybe they didn't have a right understanding of who God was in the first place. I don't know. But maybe they were just along for the joy ride. There are some people that do that. <coughs> maybe they were, I don't know. But all of a sudden, you, you get to tough times and pff, they're gone. They're chasing something else to make them comfortable. And if you look at what's happened with COVID and you look at what happened in May with all the civil unrest and everything that's going on, it doesn't matter what side you stand on in any of that stuff. The reality of it is it's revealed something in the hearts of people who call themselves kingdom people. Revealed that we're not so much kingdom people as we are cultural people in the church. And we've made battle lines over stuff that doesn't matter. It's revealed in us, I think, some pretty serious things. Listen to Amos' answers. He says, I was not a prophet or a son of a prophet. Rather, I was a herdsman, and I took care of sycamore figs. It means he's a farmer, too. But the Lord took me from following the flock and said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now listen to what the Lord says. He says, Now you say, Don't prophesy against Israel and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, this is what the Lord says, Your wife will be a prostitute in the city. Your sons and daughters will fall by the sword, and your land will be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself will die on pagan soil, and Israel will certainly go into exile from its homeland. 
See, that's the prophecy you get when you reject what the Lord is wanting to do in your life. At some point, he's closed the door. He's closed the door because it is evident that nothing that anybody says is going to lead them to repentance. But you know God, don't you? All this stuff, the seriousness of what's going to happen. Amos has walked away. He's, he's prophesied. He's stood, he's, he's, it's, he didn't just go there and say it and leave. He's been there for a while. He's saying these things. All, the, all of a sudden, he says at the end, In that day I will restore the fallen booth of David. I will repair its gaps, restore its ruins, rebuild it as the days of old so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that are called by my name. He will do this. Hear this, the days are coming when the plowman will overtake the reaper and the one who treads grapes, the sower of seed. The mountains will drip with sweet wine and all the hills will flow from it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. They will rebuild and occupy ruined cities, plant vineyards, drink their wine, make gardens and eat their produce. I will plant them on the land and they will never again be uprooted from the land I have given them. Yahweh your God has spoken this. What is he saying? that through all of the offenses that they've done to God and how they've lived. And even though he has to do judgment and bring them into exile because of their unrepentant hearts, and they're not turning to him, there's going to be a time down the line. It's not going to be them, (laughs) but there's going to be a time down the line where he's going to bring them back to the land. He's going to give it to them. And he's going to bless them. And it's going to be abundant. And it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. But it's going to be a while before that happens. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> Israel wasn't restored to a nation until 1948. It's a long time. Amos also says there's going to come a time when you're going to be looking for the the word of the Lord and you're not going to hear it. Because you wouldn't listen to it before, you're not going to get it now. And I I think, honestly, that really points out to, is they went into exile, they came back, and there were some prophets here or there, but all of a sudden, we go into this 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament where there's not a prophet speaking. And we get to the New Testament where all of a sudden people are hungry for something from God. They're, you know, they're still being oppressed here and all these different kinds of stuff between Pharisees and Sadducees. And all, this, and all of a sudden, God comes in the sweetness of a baby to say, yet once again, I'm going to bring someone that's going to deliver you, not from those who may outwardly oppress you, but I'm going to bring someone who's going to deliver you from yourself. Who's going to remove the stain of sin off of you through his sacrifice. He's going to come to you first humbly, and then you're going to come humbly to him. And he's going to save his people from their sins. And this peace that he, I, I believe that he's prophesying to with disciples, my peace I leave unto you, what is that? 
but certainly not a peace in the world because he said, I did not come to bring peace at this time, but a sword. So there's going to be a whole lot of division. There's going to ho still going to be a whole lot of crazy stuff going on in the world. So then what is this peace that he leaves to them? It's the peace of being reconciled and in right relationship with the Father again. It's a peace that transcends space and time. It's a peace that comes from the heaven of heavens, the throne room, and is deposited into your soul and your spirit and then can become activated in the reality in which you live. That's what people will not understand when times get crazy, but you're operating on a different level. You're operating as if you were seated in the heavenlies with Christ, which is what Ephesians says that you are. You're operating from a police place of reconciliation with the God of everything. You're operating from a position that understands that this earth is not your home. There's a better home coming, and it's waiting. Earth is not the end. <laughs> well, there is an end for earth, but there's not an end for you who are in Christ. Actually, you're living in glory right now, and you will transcend from this glory to a greater glory because you'll be in his presence when that time comes. This is why he tells his people, fear not, because death no longer has power over you. Amen? Thanks for joining with us today. And if that message touched your heart in some way, please let us know by emailing us at info.kingdomlife at aol.com. You can also find us and reach out to us on Facebook. And we hope that you will join us again for another podcast from Kingdom Life Community Church.